On the Empire Podcast this week, we chuck a tangled web over Zachary Levi and slow him down long enough to talk about Shazam. I can't wait till the movie actually comes out so we can talk <laughs> about it. So we can talk about the hoo-hoos and the ha-has and the warm-up. And I... All this and more on the only movie podcast that watched the Joker trailer and worried about the amount of bullying that clowns apparently suffer. Let's please give it up for clowns for a moment. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, yes, I'm a substitute for your regularly planned Chris Hewitt. I'm afraid he's at the dentist. So instead, I'm joined by two other colleagues of such lethal cunning. Lethal cunning, kind of like the Joker, like a Batman villain. So our very own rogues gallery today, we have Pilot Man, a.k.a. James Dyer, whose fiendish superpower is the ability to mention another podcast in every conversation he ever has. Well, Helen, it's funny you should mention that, because on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we'll be dealing with the widow, uh, the victim, and other things beginning with the. Great. Thanks, also, James. Also, can nope. I point out, Chris is at the dentist. <laughs> yes. Having, let's be honest, Woot Canal, which... <laughs> You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. There's a whole West Wing thing, like a parody we can roll into this. We get him in next week. He's had Woot Canal. He Woot can't Canal. do it properly. Yes. But you are in this case. You are the Josh Lyman of this yes. podcast. So I will be revealing onto you just later today yes. the president's secret plan to fight inflation. Amazing. Make yeah. it happen. <laughs> but of course, James, you're not the only one here today. We also have... A sidekick, I'll be honest, to James's pilot man. Um, That's fair. He is online lad, Ben Travis. <laughs> His ability is to publish a news story extremely quickly, like faster than a speeding bullet, but somehow like in a deadly way. I haven't quite figured it mm-hmm. out yet, but we can workshop yeah, it. Yeah, they'll slice right through you. <laughs> all, all the Twitters. Which, I know them. Which sidekick would you say you are? I mean, probably Michael Sarah Robin from the, from the Lego Batman movie, Aww. let's Aww. be honest. As if but, you were ever anything but Penfold. Oh... What? I don't know. Does that mean? I feel Ooh. like he is kind of Robin-y, though. Look at that little face. The perennial hope. No. <laughs> I can't do acrobatics, You, you are though. actually like Lego Batman right now, James. If, it, it really is kind of working out. He's going, I'm looking for a father figure, and you're like, nope. Nope. You are Not wearing very dark grey, so I'm Batman. Well, that actually brings me on to this week's question. Wow, segue. So this comes in from... At Remy's Gambit on Twitter, uh, a.k.a. PJ Woolman, he asks, with Shazam released this week and Zachary Levi finally getting the movie he deserves, which other actors known primarily for TV would you like to see take centre stage in a big damn franchise film? I mean, the answer here is Idris Elba, isn't it? Like, is it? He's crossed over to film stuff, but it's never really worked out massively well for him. He's still best known for Luther, which, let's face it, the last two series were not good. Um, Ooh, and I think I can like, see James reacting such, there. Uh-oh. He's such a talented guy, and he's got so much charisma, and he's so ready for some kind of big franchise that is not James Bond <laughs> to kind of give him that kind of extra blockbuster clout because he's like a he's a blockbuster guy mm. who's never really had a proper blockbuster like Dark Tower kind of. Oh no! Yeah, less said about that, the better. Um, I feel like he's never quite made that. Like maybe you never know. Fast and Furious, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. He's playing a villain called Brixton, a super-powered evil man mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. fighting Jason Statham and The Rock, which just sounds like the greatest film ever made. Ben, ben. Um, so that could be it. Penfold, but... shush. <laughs> you know not of what you speak. Idris Elba was the star. His career peaked in the four-star masterpiece that is Molly's Game. I don't know what is wrong <laughs> oh, with you. Good Lord. How could he ever possibly top well, that? Because, of course, James, that's not a franchise, thank goodness, because it's need... only oh. a three-star film. Helen. You say that now, but what happens when Molly's 
next game is released. Molly's replay. Yeah, Molly's rematch. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Oh, it's going to be three stars again. Yeah. I mean, he was Heimdall as well. I mean, come on. Yeah, I guess. He but was then... master of the Bifrost, for fuck's sake. Yeah, but he looked like he didn't want to be there the entire time. And he, in fact, said in interviews that he didn't want to be there, that he would rather go and be uh, Nelson Mandela and never have to pretend to be Heimdall ever again. So I, I just think he, he is such like a headlining name and he yeah. has not quite... like found that role that's going to mm-hmm. give him that big What about Crawl in Star Trek Beyond? I mean, who remembers Crawl in, in Star Trek Beyond? He was in makeup <laughs> for the whole thing as well. He's another like actor of colour who joins a massive sci-fi project and mm-hmm. then gets slathered in prosthetics and you can't really tell that it's them. Mm. Um, so I feel like that doesn't poor really count Poor for Oscar either. Isaac in X-Men Apocalypse there oh as well. Oh my god, yeah. Poor Oscar Isaac. <sighs> Still, I'm still upset about that. Everyone's upset how about did they make... Apocalypse. <laughs> it's like, how did anyone look at Oscar Isaac and go, how can we make him look not hot? And that is how much you have to do to him. That is, I mean, that's a lot. It took a lot, but yeah. they did just about get there. It's, it's depressing. Um, James, how about you? I would say, having not prepared for this question, or mm. really thought about it before this moment, no. Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. From... Benjamin Sisko himself. <laughs> Star Trek who, Deep Space Nine. To be honest, I don't think I've seen since the finale of Deep Space Nine uh, what we leave behind. We, yeah. In fact, what we leave behind turned out was him. Uh, I'm sure he has been other things, but I certainly don't... I don't recall seeing him in a while. So what do you want him to do? Anything, what kind of thing? Just anything, anything at all? Anything that requires him to be bald and sporting a goatee. That sounds like another Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He should be the next Fast and Furious villain. Or Goody. All goody. They all could good, all be the way. villains. He can be the goody. Oh, I love Cisco. Cisco. I mean, they amazing. can introduce him as a goody and or as a baddie and get him to do the worst thing possible and then turn him into a goody in the next film. Frankly, oh. I'd take almost anyone from the cast of Deep Space Nine because we've not seen many of them mm. since. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, where's uh, where's Odo these days? Old Rene, where, where's he gone? What's he doing? That's true. You know, And so many of them have, have aged super well. Either Dax would be fine. Dr. Bashir's turned up in a few things. Dr. No, Bashir, yeah. He does see, yeah, he, he was stop. in Game of Thrones, so he's okay. Well, exactly. Uh, well, he yeah, wasn't so. in Game of Thrones, obviously, but you know, otherwise, he's okay. <sighs> I'm sorry. Too soon? Yeah. Okay. I think what we've said is the whole cast of Deep Space Nine <laughs> should come together for a giant big screen franchise. Okay. Big screen nine. Or just like a Deep Space Nine film after I, all these yeah, years. Yeah, i take that. The time has come. They're at an impasse with the Star Trek franchise right now why not do a deep space nine film why what's not, stopping them have you been watching discovery Helen? i have been watching discovery and i love it a lot a lot james stop turning this into the pilot no TV i can't podcast. because i've been banned <laughs> i've literally been banned from talking about star trek on this pilot tv podcast so i'm now just gonna have to do it but on it's here. so good i know thank you you need yeah. to come on the pilot tv podcast and replace frankly terry and or boyd <laughs> both of whom bully me whenever i talk about picard or the mandalorian or anything to do with star trek but like, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm hopeful for both those other shows. I'm not kind of sanguine about them yet. But like, Discovery is here, and we can see it, and we know it's good. Or so disco is the cool kids call it. I know they do, and I want the running top with disco in the front. <laughs> but it upsets me that it doesn't then say very on the back. I oh. would like it to have both. It should say so. black alert on the back. Is what it should say. It should say black mm. alert. We are so much better at this marketing I know. thing. How cool are we? Oh, When's see, the Star Trek spin-off I am, podcast I am coming? Unappreciated on my other podcast. <laughs> we should do uh, a special. We should. We should. Oh, that's absolutely going to happen. But, but to answer the question, which we were answering about sixteen hours ago when sure. we started this, um, I have an answer. I, well, I have half of an answer. Give me your half. I know the actors. It relates to something we discussed the other week. Which is the imminent demise, R.I.P. of Supernatural. That gives you <laughs> that gives you three super hot men 
who look franchise ready for any franchise you want. I don't understand how I didn't see this coming. I don't understand I how All like the, the asteroid <laughs> flying towards the earth with just <laughs> dreading inevitability. What? I did not like dread it, run from it. Supernatural and arise, just the same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it had to be. Come on. Yeah. No, that's oh, absolutely fair. I think, you know, that was it des- some destial big screen erotica. Is, oh, no. Is... What kind of exceptionally shirtless franchises are there that <laughs> they could all kind of step but into? they're never shirtless. But Ooh. they could be. Ooh. They could be now. No, like, that's interesting. Like Magic Mike 3. Mag- Magic Mike XXXL? Yeah. <laughs> Golly. Um, <laughs> no, actually, genuinely, I think it should. The, the criterion should be we need a franchise that has a lot of plaid shirts in it. We want them to feel at home. Mm. What franchise has lots of plaid shirts? Some kind of lumberjack yeah. sort of a film. I'm not quite sure where I'm going <laughs> the with this. Lumberjack cinematic universe. Almost the kind of normcore wardrobe of the Bourne films. That's the kind of thing mm. we should be going for What's here. Normcore? Normcore. It's a thing. Catch what? up, James. Like, what is it? Sort of fashionably unfashionable. Like oh, that's what, me. Like what you see random dads wearing. That's me. I'm ra- I'm fashionably unfashionable. Like practical fleeces and that's kind of, that's so a magazine I need to subscribe uh, to. <laughs> practical fleeces magazine. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, coming with the next issue of Empire, I think. Amazing. Um, so they could what start some kind of normcore heavy franchise. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. I just think I think it. there should be woods involved. I think there should be, you know, just like a bit hiking. I, I'm not quite sure what the, the plot is, but I feel like we can find something if we just give it a bit of a some kind of Bigfoot, maybe. I don't know. Wait, this Harry is basically turning... Reboot. This is kind of turning into Supernatural, the movie. Wendigo. <gasps> that was episode two, It was. Do you know who was in that? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. Old Nerenreich was in That's it. right. Ooh. Yeah, Solo and himself. Solo himself. We asked him about it when we interviewed him for the pod. Mm. Anyway, so that's my answer. And I feel like we've conclusively failed <laughs> to answer that question entirely. Although we have uh, laid the scenes for the newest in our Empire pod universe, <laughs> James and Helen's disco podcast. Yes, it's, it's going to be the best one. It's going to happen. I feel like I'd turn it for an episode expecting to talk about disco music and then... You could be the tardigrade. Sort of disappointed. Oh my God, I would love to be a party tardigrade. <laughs> <laughs> so many arms to do the uh, Saturday Night Fever dance with. Coming to you live from the Mycelial Network, it's the Disco <laughs> Cast. It's weird how big tardigrades have been in cinema recently. They have. They are having a moment. With, they really are. Moment. With Ant-Man, of course, yeah, and, yeah. and disco. Like, There's a lot of tardigrade action. They have win. been there minuscule, biding their time for so long, and finally getting the big screen representation they deserve finally it's paying it. off wow and on that note at Remy's Gambit uh, I hope that answered your question and I'm, I'm so sorry if it didn't if you'd like your question read out in the Empire Podcast you can tweet us we're at Empire Magazine and use the hashtag Empire Podcast we're also on Facebook where we are again Empire Magazine it's a bit unoriginal but we're also emailable that's a word at podcast at empireonline.com all right So while we're on the subject of kind of learning things and answering questions and talking about new stuff, quick mention here for two other great podcasts that are out this week. Our sister magazine Q has recently launched their own podcast. And this week they're going to be joined by Fat White Family, which I know sounds like the kind of thing I shouldn't say. Stop being racist. I know. I apologise. And sizist. I mean, you're I know. just a sickening bigot. I am fat positive, but you know, hey. A sickening bigot on this episode as well. <laughs> yeah, they're an awesome indie band. <laughs> anyway, Fat White Family are in fact, of course, a London-born post-punk band, James, as I'm sure you know well. Oh. And their third album, Surf's Up, is out this month. It's had great reviews so far. That's surf with an E. So, like, it's a play on words. 
So I like them already. Do we have any other podcasts, Helen, that you'd like to promote? Well, here, James, uh, I'm going to allow you to speak for no longer than 30 seconds. (laughs) I see what you did there. On what's in pilot this month. No, no, I would like to cede my time back to you because clearly as a subscriber and regular listener to the Pilot TV podcast, you will have many, many wonderful things to say about it. And I would like to hear what you have to say. Uh... Honestly, between you and Chris, Ben, you listen to it all the time, don't you? All the time. Every week, is it? That it comes Ben's out? just been fired. Producer James, you listen to the Pilot TV podcast. She's nodding. She's nodding, but that was a disingenuous nod. Unbelievable. Okay, yes, on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we will be delving into the new Amazon Prime show, although it's ITV over here, called The Widow, starring Kate Beckinsale. Uh, we will be joining... Um, Kelly McDonald and John Hanna for The Victim. Aidan Gillen drops by. We talked to him about Project Blue Book, which is very cool. exciting. We also have a bit of a chat about Queer as Folk, which is 20 years old this year. What? Very, very exciting. I try and find an episode of Black Books funny. and It's well, so funny! I will not spoil for you what happens as a result <sighs> of that. And we also do Toby Jones' new comedy, uh, Don't Forget the Driver. I love Toby Jones. Yeah, I love Toby Jones as well. So there's lots of fun to be had on the Pilot TV podcast. Please subscribe to it immediately. I think that sounds great, and I will listen to it. She's lying. But I will try. you should. All right, I think it's time for some news now. Um, what's caught your attention this week? Any Anything big? Anything major? There was a whole thing, wasn't there, Ben, in Vegas? Yeah, there was. Yeah, a whole CinemaCon. Thing. Yes. Uh, where all the big studios have been showing footage of kind of major upcoming releases. Mm-hmm. We learned that the cats in Cats oh, are going to be the size of actual cats. I, Are we still I just, pretending this film is getting made? <laughs> I don't understand. Isn't it like April 1st has passed? I thought for sure on the morning of April 1st they'd be like, kidding! <laughs> it's not a real film. <laughs> to be clear, they are cats the size of cats played by people in mocap outfits to make yes. them look like cats who will get post-production fur added to them to make them into cats. Yes, on yes. giant sets. So, so that they are in proportion to the to, surroundings. So they're proportionately the size of cats, but presumably they're still on two legs because they're not actually cat cats. They're like and humanoid like cat cats. extrapolations, like puss in boots style. I guess, but even puss in boots had like a cat form. You know, he would mm. kind of go down on four legs sometimes. I just, I don't understand. I don't why it has no story and it's stupid. And what is a jellical cat? Why am I supposed to care? I don't understand. I feel we're not sufficiently cat positive on this uh, on Okay, this podcast. well, you go. Be, be cat positive. Oh, no, James. I hate them. Absolutely. I'm never watching this film, ever. You couldn't pay me to see it. And is that uh, a bias against actual cats or about Cats the musical? Oh, interesting question. I firmly you like believe a musical. that cats are the vanguard of some kind of satanic invasion from the bowels of hell. That's, I mean... A side note to this, but this this is... I mean, I've never seen Cats the Musical. Oh, God, you're uh, so lucky. I've heard bad things. Yeah, mostly that was me and Chris, though. <laughs> That's a good point. You know what? I might love it. Maybe this is the new Les Mis for me. But, like, Les Mis has a plot... It and does. a story. And, and a like, revolution. And a revolution, uh, which was said in a slightly Hamilton way there. Yeah, I enjoyed it, James. Well revolution. Um, <laughs> but like, this has none of those things. Basically, this cat turns up at the beginning and goes, I'm going to send one cat to heaven. And then all these other cats turn up and introduce themselves. But instead of sort of going, hey, I'm a great cat, you send me to heaven. They all come along and they go, hey, I'm a big liar and a cheat. Hang on. So the plot of this film is killing cats. But, but is it... I mean, because nothing happens, because they just come along and introduce themselves. What is it, like an existential quandary, sort of posed by feline protagonists? That's essentially what this is. But they don't actually deal with the quandary. Like, the quandary is is 
place there at the beginning and then ignored for the entire play. What's They're the song that everyone likes? Uh, memory, memory, which is going to be Jennifer Hudson singing that. Yeah, so I like. So that's going to be good. I'm that's int- going to be yeah. like five worthy minutes. I'm interested in hearing that and the rest of it. Okay. We shall see. They didn't actually show any footage of this. I think they showed some like behind the scenes stuff so that people could see the oversized sets. But presumably they're going to spend the next year working on how these cats are actually going to look. Not so. even a year, right? It's out in December. Oh my god. Well, that's a nine months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yowzers. Wow. Uh, but yeah, there was lots of other kind of bits. There was footage from Aladdin footage from x-men dark phoenix and somebody from fox kind of confirming that it's a a farewell to the x-men as people probably have long thought it would be Mm. after the um fox and disney merger uh disney have kind of confirmed their plans to make more alien films whether that's in the sort of ridley scott prometheus verse or whether that's going the kind of neil blomkamp route and trying to sequelize aliens or the kind of earlier films we'll have to wait and see but that's interesting especially in the context of that disney deal of where Mm. that's going to go well it's Um, sort of it's potentially good news for those who were worried about disney completely shutting down anything mm -hmm. over pg-13 at the fox end that would imply at least because you hope they're not going to make pg-13 alien movies that they're going to keep up the sort of adult content that Fox was so good at. Yeah, and I think um, even though all, all that talk about kind of, yeah, that this is the end of an era for the X-Men, um, they did confirm as well that the the Deadpool movies are going to continue as as they always have been. I think that's going to be a pretty good fit, the sort of meta nature of that character, just to shoehorn him into the MCU and crack a joke about it, will absolutely work. So, yeah, it feels like a bit of a sign that Disney aren't going to stop these sort of R-rated films being made. Uh, there was also Endgame footage, which I have not read yes. a single thing about because I am just I'm I'm so in I'm so in already. <laughs> yeah, but I just don't want to know more at this point. Well, I'm I'm with Ben on this. Like I read that like people go, oh, there's some big spoilers in there, so I've now avoided but it and all talk of it. Wait, so does this mean we can't discuss it right now on the I mean, podcast? Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the but, trailer. I haven't read about the new footage. Yeah, but like, I just I'd, don't want to know. Okay, but like, I kind of said to people, oh, I know Chris and I don't have time to do a spoiler special, but we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast. And you're now calling me a liar. Yeah, Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I, I feel a bit like if we don't want to hear it, then surely our listeners don't want to hear it. They want to go in fresh. Because Helen... There is no time gem to turn back time so we can unknow these things that but you would is. have us know. Well, we don't have it. Well, you know. he you, gave, you it actually to, he gave it to Thanos. I saw him do it. Yeah, but it, you do. It's on your desk. That is actually true. I have an Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> All right, fine. So I could do that, but let's assume I won't. I almost feel like asking you both to leave the room for a minute. <laughs> you can just sol- soliloquize about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to do. Uh, okay, guys, sorry. I guess we're not going to discuss the Avengers spot. Then we're going to get hate for this. Like, you are going to get hate. As, as long as, as I don't know anything more than I know now going into the <sighs> film, I'm well, good. Well, I mean, there's a bit with a shaving mirror that is really upsetting. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Helen. You see the immediate aftermath. I'm sorry, Helen. I am sorry. I'm not okay. Well, you know what we can talk about, though? What's that? Joaquin Phoenix. Let's talk about Joaquin yeah, Phoenix. So Phoenix. the first trailer for Todd Phillips' Joker movie mm. came out, and it is not what I was expecting. I couldn't tell you what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. Uh, <laughs> it was sort of Taxi Driver yeah, versus the Joker. It's really quirky and kind of hard to pin down, and... I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I'm actually fascinated, which is a real step up from sort of crushing apathy, which is what I had beforehand. So uh, this is good, as in this is very promising. Mm. Yeah, it's looking like a sort of psychological drama, thriller, yeah. uh, crime movie. I think one of the things that's getting a lot of people excited about this is that obviously beloved Christopher Nolan films, what they did was take the Batman story and plug them into kind of 
these really expansive crime movies essentially that happen to also be superhero films and it looks like this is doing the same but with those yeah gritty 70s style auteur driven cinema bit of scorsese in there Mm. um i have to say the trailer looks kind of exactly what i was expecting from the early talk of what this film was going to be and i think it's just a promising sign that Todd Phillips having directed this and also co-written it that they just whatever it is they have a really clear vision of what this film's going to be and they've been allowed to just go and do it and it looks stylish and dark and kind of weird and yeah I'm into it no it's exactly what you say I think the thing that comes through most for me on this is they are absolutely 100% certain on what they're doing as you say a really clear vision for Mm. what they want from this and I think some fans may push back against that Mm. may not be what they're looking for but either way you know there's a lot to unpack with this I'm really interested in it. I have a few reservations. Go on. First of all, as a trailer, I really liked it as a trailer. I think it's really exciting. Does a really good job. Has a great colour palette, actually. Looks amazing in terms of its just the way it's shot. Looks beautiful. I have a couple of major reservations. My first one is a perennial one to a Joker movie, which is that I don't think the Joker should have an origin. I thought you were about to say, I don't think the Joker should have a red nose. <laughs> I don't I mean, know why, sure. but I swear to you, that's what I thought was coming. Because my <laughs> my main takeaway from the trailer is, like, he shouldn't have a red nose. He shouldn't have a red nose. The Joker doesn't have a red nose. Why do you have a red nose? Well, I mean, I hadn't even picked up on that, James. But um, I guess you do you. No, he shouldn't have an origin, and that's because in the comics, he has never had an origin that has been canon for any length of time. And I I have read the ones you're going to throw at me, and I assure you they were not written as canon, okay? So I worry that when you put something like this on film, people assume that that is your Joker origin story rather than a Joker origin story, and I'm kind of not hugely down with that in Mm. principle. I enjoyed the fact that Heath Ledger's Joker played with that quite a lot in the film. I really liked that. It was one of my favourite things in Dark Knight, so I'm I'm not 100% sold on that. And then there's a thread on Twitter by Hello Taylor, Hello underscore Taylor, that's Gavia Baker-Whitelaw who writes for The Daily Dot, which I 100% co-sign. She was basically talking about the sort of, the response to Batman films and the assumption from a lot of she said male film buffs, but it is mostly men, who see moral ambiguity and masculine angst as markers of serious cinema. And I feel like this is going to be one of those films that, like, a certain type of film fan who hates me is going to love. <laughs> and and therefore, that makes me wary of the film. And I know that's not fair on the film, but I just am exhausted with it. So, you know, I just feel like this is going to be this incredibly dark, serious masculine take on the Joker that really offers me, I suspect, very little, but expect me to take it very seriously. And I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that. That said, as I said, it looks glorious. I really like Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, he just gave the most amazing performance in You Were Never Really Here. And I can't wait to see what he does next in that sense. But I just have I mean, worries. Better this than Jared Leto coming mm-hmm. back. That's all I'm saying. Yes, that is true. So, sure. I mean, if it, I the the sort of people that you're talking about, I assume it's the people who watched the final season of Breaking Bad and were rooting for Heisenberg and hating on Skyler the entire way. It's that kind of like sympathetic it, to the male it, ego angst. Yeah, drama. and just like they assume that anything that is dark is inherently better than anything that is mm-hmm. optimistic, which I mm-hmm. fundamentally object to as a worldview. I don't think that is true. Anyway, but I'm not going to judge the film on the basis of its fans, otherwise I would hate all of Christopher Nolan films forever. And I don't. Or Fight Club. I would hate Fight Club and I actually love Fight Club. So, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, Speaking of for the fans, there's a new cut of Apocalypse Now coming 
Coppola's wow. final cut of Apocalypse Now, as whereby, to... uh, as opposed to the Redux and what's the other one, Ben? The original and the, the original uh, theatrical, the Redux the... and the. Was there a director's work cut? Prints. Work, work prints. Print. So there's a few different hours cuts long. This. Now, this is the final cut. We don't know what's in it, but I firmly suspect at the end we will have absolute concrete proof that Colonel Kurtz is a replicant. <gasps> really? Yeah. This time, at last. Yeah. But after Brando all these years. said that he wasn't. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a really nerdy this, end this joke. Is, this is coming to cinema soon, isn't it? That's, uh, that's well, it's coming to the, the Tribeca Film know. Festival, and part of it is this 40th anniversary of Apocalypse Now. So it's as well as being this new cut, it's uh, a 4K restoration. And there's no other kind of screenings confirmed yet, but obviously with it being the anniversary, mm. and with Francis Ford Coppola having worked on this himself... It's going to get a wider release, don't you worry. It's not just going to be in New York. Just cross-fading the last two stories slightly, the sort of 4K-ness and the Batman-ness. Did anyone see Warner Brothers release the pack shots for the new 4K editions of the uh, Burton and Schumacher Batman films? No. Yes, they are not pretty looking. (laughs) They are not great. No. I mean, there's been a lot of, shall we say, uh, Twitter backlash to this. My first Photoshop was bandied around quite a lot. I mean, I see what they were going for they are they were going for something bad (laughs) and they (laughs) They, achieved they may have i mean the thing that bugs me the most is that there are multiple characters in each one and on the cover of batman and robin there's no fucking robin but you know oh are there nipples ah helen's found them yeah well they're not super great (laughs) they're not super great are they Wow. I think it's just because we live in a time of like such amazing alternative art and fan art and amazing designers like Matt Ferguson and people who yeah. do these really kind of gorgeous alternate takes. And then you see that and it's a chance when they do these reissues to bring some really amazing new art. And yeah, yeah that's not it. That's, yeah, that's... that's going on no student's bedroom wall. No, that those are, I mean, Batman Returns is probably my favourite Batman film and even mm. I'm not tempted to buy that that's i mean let's face Ooh. it the, the poster going on all the uh, new students walls is going to be the joker poster yeah that is probably <laughs> true. true i mean we've gotten all this way because you wouldn't let me discuss avengers <laughs> um we've barely discussed marvel at all and that won't stand obviously so um quick shout out captain marvel this week passed a billion dollars at the worldwide billion dollars box office <laughs> which is a big screw you to all the people who decided to give it negative chat in advance i guess it did okay anyway guys so sorry about that what a shame i guess you'll try again (laughs) with the next one and probably the next one that you'll be trying with will of course be black widow and there was casting news today for that um rather tasty casting news in the shape of rachel weiss and david harbour apparently in talks to join the film yeah the hellboy crossover was unexpected but welcome (laughs) (laughs) the hellboy crossover is great we also know that florence Pugh will be in there yes um but we literally don't have any other details because because, you know, Marvel hates details or information or admitting things. That's a crazy good cast, though. Rachel Weiss off the back of another amazing performance in, in The Favourite. Mm-hmm. Just the prospect of her in a Marvel film is very exciting. And Florence Pugh just absolutely killing it at Love the moment. David Harbour seems like he's doing really well in the Hellboy film, like especially considering he's not Ron Perlman, which is a difficult thing to be mm-hmm. when you're in a Hellboy film. From what we've seen of him in the trailers, I think he actually looks really good. Yeah, just like bring it on. I, I think even though the whole prospect of the Black Widow film feels a bit belated at this point, all of these extra additions to the cast just make it increasingly more exciting and something that I really want to see. Yeah, definitely. So long may it continue. And of course, uh, Kate Shortland directing mm-hmm. that one, which is which is good news as well. There was also exciting news about an upcoming film 
and that was Akira, which I feel like we've been talking about a live action version of Akira for approximately 20 years. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely wrote stories about it on the website way back oh, yeah. in the day. Yeah. And it's never happened. No. And it still like might not happen. Yeah. But there's big people involved. Leonardo DiCaprio and Taika Waititi are working on it. And if there's anybody you want to be working on your Akira movie, surely Taika Waititi comes pretty high up the list. Taika so, Waititi, a.k.a. the voice of IG-88 in The Mandalorian. I mean, that's not how I would see him. <laughs> um, I feel like most people might know him as, say, the director of Ragnarok and Hunt for the Wilder People. Nonsense. Korg, even. But sure, you do you. It's interesting timing, obviously, with um, Alita having done all right, but not amazing at the box office, but also being one of the more well-received kind of manga and anime adaptations in that sort of live-action form, that maybe people are kind of, yeah, still thinking of new ways that you can take these animation-based properties and actually deliver them in a satisfying way on the big screen. Mm. Uh, talking of that, I rewatched Speed Racer the other week and it is <laughs> flipping mental. It's absolutely nuts, but the good stuff in it is incredible. Especially because the, the bad bits are so intentionally a choice that it's you lose all sense of... It's not like they tried to go for something no. that didn't work. They they did exactly what they were trying to do with that But film. why would it's, they try to do that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I'll spend the rest of my life figuring that out. But this, I mean, the hopeful stuff with this, so obviously I think anyone who is a fan of the anime film would be worried about an Akira remake. The good news is that Taika Waititi knows what he's doing, I think, and he has said some really important stuff like, you don't need to remake that film, you can go to the vast sum of books and do something from there. It doesn't have to be the same story. There was a bit of concern because uh, one of the reasons this came out was that the production's been granted, I think, $18.5 million in a tax incentive to film in California, which makes it sound like they're doing the sort of Americanized version of the story that people have always been a bit wary of. But again, Taika, who is no stranger to diverse representation in film, is talking about casting Asian-American teenagers and, and getting that side of it right. So... You know, we've got to hope for the best, I think. I hope. Yeah. Right? I'm 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 with you. Let's hope for the best and maybe prepare for the worst. In Taika we trust. <laughs> In Taika we trust. And on that note we should probably wrap up the news. Except section. we can't. We can't? Because Groot is <laughs> going him? to be an avatar. Yes, now I saw Presumably this. Presumably playing Home Tree. Well, we saw this picture, right, yes. of, of so, Vin Diesel with Yes, with James, James Cameron. Cameron saying that he'd always wanted to work with James Cameron and saying that he now was. So I can only assume that he is in <laughs> an Avatar sequel. Now, obviously, I would love it if he was playing Mother Awa. However, I don't imagine that is the mm. case. Now, they finished the motion capture aspects of the sequel at this point. So they're looking at live action, which obviously leads us to believe that he will be playing one of the human possibly antagonistic type of people. Ooh, I can so. really imagine Vin Diesel as a sort of big, gruff, growly military man in a James Cameron film. That seems like a really strong yeah. Yeah. fit. And if, I mean, I guess all we know of the live action stuff from the first film was that it was military. So I wonder if they're continuing that thread. And if they are, he feels like a really good fit for that, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen him in action in Saving Private Ryan, in a more sci-fi vein in the Riddick films. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems kind of natural. When will we see these films, James? Will they ever actually come out? They now? will come. Okay. They will come. And as much as a lot of people are still going, oh, I'm not interested in an Avatar sequel, believe me, when they start 
showing stuff and then when you revisit the first film and remember how much fun it is uh-huh. people are going to be excited are people going to be as james cameron so memorably put it shitting themselves with their mouths wide open though I will be, so feel free to come and join me and wow, uh, it I'm gonna be, be a communal experience. Sadly, I'm going to be missing that particular <laughs> screening because of the smell. Yeah. Gross. I, I'm Ben on this. Like, I, the, I've got very little time for the Avatar backlash. When people go, oh, Avatar was shit. Avatar was fan-bloody-tastic. It's really, really, really good. Please go back and rewatch it because it's fantastic. Mm. No yeah. time for haters. I'm sorry, I'm in the same camp, so this is a boring... Great agreement. Yeah, Avatar. What an Avatar loving. Right. I know. Wow. All right. So I think it's probably time to move on. Hello, everyone. It's me, Chris Hewitt, just butting in temporarily to tell you that this week we are delighted to be sponsored once again by The Economist, the legendary magazine that's over 170 years old. That's a whole load of candles to blow out. To put that into some kind of perspective, Empire is only 30 years old this year, and I myself am only a mere 25. <clears throat> Anyway, we have an incredible offer for Empire Podcast listeners, a free print issue of The Economist. It's an incredible offer. It'll unlock a veritable treasure trove and a Latin's cave of articles about economics, politics, entertainment, and much, much more. One article that caught my eye in the most recent edition, dated March 30th, Fact Fans, really nailed my obsession with the robot uprising that will ultimately see us all supplanted and lead to the birth of Skynet. You know, I figured they'd come for our weapons first, but I didn't think they would go for our coffee. But there's a really interesting, fun article about how robot baristas are becoming a thing. There's a coffee shop in Shanghai called Ratio, where a man named Gavin Pathros has invented a robot barista that can nail orders perfectly and produce 100 cups of coffee an hour with no mistakes. There's also an American chain called Coffee House that's on the rise. Now, this is all well and good, but it won't be too long, surely, before we're being forced to serve as baristas for grumpy robots in oil shops. How many shots of Castrol GTX with that one, sir? Anyway, if you want to get your hands on a free print copy of The Economist and stimulate your mind grapes with all kinds of great stuff, it couldn't be simpler. Just text the word MOVIES to the following number, 78070 and soon you will be expanding your mind. And in case you didn't catch that, that word again is movies, movies, and that number again, 78070. Say it with me, 78070. There we go. Thanks once again to The Economist for sponsoring the show. Don't forget to pick up your free print copy, courtesy of the Empire Podcast. No need to thank me. Okay, that's it for me. Sorry for the intrusion. Now it's back to Helen in the studio. And you know what? I bet she doesn't even say, thanks, Chris. Some people. Okay, time now for a guest. Uh, Zachary Levi won the hearts of viewers as Chuck Bartowski, the inept super spy in Chuck. Uh, and he won over our ears as Flynn Rider uh, in Tangle, the best Disney prince, really, uh, apart from maybe Prince Eric who retains a special place in my heart. Last year, he played a sarky doctor who was dating the marvellous Ms. Maisel. And now he's aiming to sort of have all our other bits fall in love with him as the star of Shazam. It's the story of a foster kid played by Asher Angel who gains the power to turn into, basically, Zachary Levi, but with, like, superpowers. So uh, we sent our very own Superman. Hang on, who wrote this? Uh, Okay, we sent Chris along to speak to him. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, I sound amazing. What about you, Zach? I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> I think we both sound very sexy. We have that. I don't think I've ever sounded sexier, actually. Yeah. 
No. <laughs> You're channeling well, the sexiness yeah, right I'm, now. Yeah, I pretty much am. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Shazam, Zachary Levi. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well, thank you. I am... Um, a little jet lagged. Okay. Uh, uh, we just we just flew in uh, yesterday morning, and that trip is always no matter what. I I can never get across the Atlantic without <laughs> feeling like I've just been punched in the face, and I'm on another planet. Um, uh, yeah. But I, I'm always happy to be able to come back to London, and particularly under such circumstances as this, to promote the biggest thing I've ever been a part of, <laughs> and such a fun, joy filled movie where I get to play the big kid in me. You know, it's yeah. it's pretty groovy. I've got to start, though, by saying you are having a meal at, mm -hmm. it is 10.19 a.m., and you're having yeah. a meal. Well, yeah, it's like, breakfast? it's what, like, <laughs> no, this is second breakfast, <laughs> and then Elevensies will be after this, and, uh... Get some Limbus bread in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just, I genuinely have to kind of eat all day long, um... Which, uh, which for some people, they're like, well, lucky. Yeah, we're going to eat all up? day long. Um, but no, yeah, in this transformation that I've really kind of gone under, which has been incredible and I'm so grateful for, specifically of, you know, being in the gym six days a week and eating tons of calories in order to put on mass to fill this, you know, fill the shoes of this character of, yeah. of, of Shazam um, and to try and maintain all of that. You know, hopefully the movie does well enough and we'll have some sequels or something like that. But in, in the event that that might actually happen, I want to be prepared, to, you know, I want to be ready to go. I wasn't going to let all of that hard work go to waste and then be like, oh, now I got to get back into shape? No, 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 no. I'm going to keep this train rolling. That's fascinating because I, I would have imagined, I mean, if, if it been me, I have mm. no willpower whatsoever, as you can see, mm. just by looking at me. But the second, the second they called cut on the last day of, the, of filming, I'd have been just... Get me ten burgers immediately. Well, I that it I I did enjoy <laughs> I did enjoy myself uh, once I uh, was finally able to you know loosen the reins a bit, if you will. <laughs> um, and I still you know uh, enjoy a cheat meal here and there, and you know certainly enjoyed my cheat tequila, which I probably <laughs> cheat with too more often than not. Um, do you pour that on the cheat meal? Oh, I just pour the tequila yeah. all over the cheat meal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just pizza <laughs> covered in tequila. <laughs> oh my god, that That's sounds horrible diet. and amazing. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But 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 truthfully, I, I having gone through all of this, I, I'm healthier and stronger than I've ever been at 38 years uh, old. You know, I I am really grateful. I'm I'm just I'm grateful for where I'm at in my life. I'm grateful for this film. I'm grateful for what it's meant to me already. With the movie haven't yeah. come out yet. Yeah, yeah. And it's already paid such great dividends in my life. And so yes, I'm very tempted to obviously want to consume mass amounts of carbohydrates. because uh, they're just heaven. <laughs> um but uh but beyond that, no, nah, I don't I don't really feel that temptation to be like, all right, finally I can stop doing this thing that's been so good for me. Like I it feels good for me, so I want to keep doing it. You're obviously in good shape, as we, as I we, tried as to we be, discussed. Yeah. Uh, when we when you shook my hand as I walked in, you nearly crushed it. Okay, fantastic. That's, that's totally fine. Is, accomplished. That, is that what you're aiming for? With I, the well, ju just I, I'm just aiming that the person understand <laughs> just how strong the, the I power am. Dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Just know the power dynamic. <laughs> so when you pull you like you pull the hand in, you know, like presidents of like heads of state and whatever, like if you if you're the one who gets your hand pulled to the other person, apparently you're in the weak seat. I, uh -huh, I don't know what uh -huh. that is, but uh, yeah. But 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 it's a fine balance. There's you know I've crushed a few hands in my day, <laughs> and then there's medical bills. Of and, course, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole thing. Uh, do you have a person who tells you who you're shaking the hand of? Someone to whisper in your ear, going, "It's <laughs> Chris from the Empire Podcast." Yeah. <laughs> well, my publicist. I mean, yeah. obviously. Well, uh, you should have been immediately jumping in and going. 
Honestly. No, you, uh, honestly. No, no. We're not like a fantastic bubble. She's just sitting in the corner now saying, absolutely, just smiling, nodding, nodding and smiling. Uh, yeah, well, that, you know, uh, my publicist uh, obviously helps with, with all of those types of introductions. But no, I mean, I, I try to be as present and informed as I can because yeah. I want to, you know, I think it's important to... I think it's important to be here and now and uh, respect the fact that we all have a a place in this world and a job to do. And I just love that as an actor, I get to go keep popping in and meeting so many fascinating people. I mean, like as an actor, when you're successful and blessed enough to keep doing this stuff, you get to meet so many cool people and do so many cool things. So uh, I try to be, you know, just as cognizant of that as possible. Mm. Everyone's got a story. That's right. Everybody does have a story. Yeah. Everyone's got something you might use at some point down the line. Yeah. You, you never know. You never know. But the reason I was talking about your handshake and the fitness and everything is because, you know, this, the suit is amazing in this film. Oh, thanks. Couldn't you have cheated a little bit? I mean, you know. <laughs> well, I, I guess I could have because I'm in the suit the whole time yeah. and, it, and it provides some augmentation and contouring and whatever. <laughs> Fine. Uh, yeah, sure. But that, But it was more... It's. It was honestly kind of more my own just personal conviction. Mm-hmm. I. I wanted. I know that there were some fans out there, and probably still are some fans uh, of the Captain Marvel Shazam character and lineage, um, and the various iterations that we've seen brought to life uh, in the various comics. You know, those fans see this. You know, massive mm-hmm. dude who is supposed to rival Superman, and. When they see the guy who played the nerdy, you know, uh, <laughs> computer fix-it cat at a buy big box store uh, for many years, they're like, well, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. And uh, <laughs> which is a bummer because right? obviously it's like you, you're hoping that you get these roles based on your ability to play the character so much yeah. more so than whatever the aesthetic is, which you can build, which you can change, which, you know, even Henry Cavill from when, before he got Superman to now has bu- built into, oh, yeah. you know, that yeah. character. Uh, everyone does. And um, so I'm, gr- I'm grateful that my bosses saw in me, they were like, oh, you've got the special sauce to bring this 14-year-old to life. I'm just mm-hmm. a big man-child, really. That's how that all worked. But uh, And then they knew that I, you know, I could, I could go and put on that mask. I could go do that. So just on a personal level, even though I knew I was never going to have a shirtless scene, I wanted to know that I was putting the work in to honor the character, to honor the franchise, and honor, you know, and these fans who... Mm. I understand that might have concern or whatever that is. It's like, okay, God, just know that I'm doing all the work that I can do. And I hope mm. that that's enough uh, for them to feel seen and, and appreciated and know that, you know, we're all putting in the, the best effort that we can. So how, how did this come about for you? How did you showcase your inner man-child to... Uh, just basically showed up and was myself. <laughs> that's what I. <laughs> that's what I did. No, I mean, I look. I've always had uh, a lot of optimism, uh, or tried to certainly. Um, I've always been a lover of joy and purveyor of joy. I, I, I really have always. I think that's why I became an entertainer. I really like bringing people joy. I like. I like making people laugh, and and sometimes you know going really deep and dramatic and pointing, you know, shining a light on other other stories. Um, but I've yeah. I I it, it, I was just tapping into really kind of my own enthusiasm. Mm. You know, I Billy Batson the uh, the Shazam as a superhero is very rare. I think in all of comicdom because there are very few. Uh, superheroes that are stoked to be superheroes that are actually like, <laughs> like really having a good time where yeah. it's fun for them. 
Billy Batson's one of them. Peter Parker is another. Then I start running out of examples. Everybody else is an adult, and they're very serious, and they take things very seriously. And I didn't have to do that, and so therefore I didn't have to rein in my own literal wish fulfillment enthusiasm of like i i get to be the superhero that i've always dreamt of being uh -huh. like like the kid in me that has always dreamt of being a superhero gets to now do this the actor in me who always wanted to play a bona fide superhero is getting to do this and all of that i would hope should make you feel pretty freaking good and smile and the the joy of that and so i just tried to take all that and funnel it into the character and then also you know look at my my young co-stars who are so talented and awesome um uh, but also you know very truly 14 15 and look at them and go okay like how do i absorb that energy and then i was like oh that's right they're kids they have no responsibilities <laughs> that, that, that's how they end up uh, able to be so silly all the time so i just try to kind of i don't know drop some of that responsibility off my shoulders and and lean into being silly. And yeah. I think all of that kind of helped, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Can you talk me through the progression of the, the kind of the, the, the process for you? And you go from audition, I presume you didn't turn up in the suits for the yeah. audition. Yeah. What, what if I did? That'd be amazing. <laughs> I had somebody building my own Shazam suit. They're like, wow, that's impressive. How much did that cost you? Gentlemen, your search is over. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, well, the, the, the process was uh, kind of interesting in, in that... Um, about two months prior to getting the job, I had been given uh, an audition or an audition had been set up for me uh, by my agency to go in to audition for the role of Shazam. And I knew at that point that The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, to clarify in case people were, <laughs> and not to, not to confuse with an actual rock, <laughs> not not The Rock. That, um, and uh, so I knew he had already, it had already been announced that he was, you know, going to be Black Adam. And anyone who knows, I knew enough about the comics to know mm -hmm. that Black Adam and, and Shazam are essentially doppelgangers. They just have different color schemes. Yeah. Uh, because they have different stylists, apparently. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, well, wait a minute. Do you want me to audition for a character that is supposed to, in in theory, potentially look identical to Dwayne The Rock Johnson? I was like, I have too much hair for that, guys. There's no way I'm going to be able to. Uh, no, it just didn't feel right. And so I thought it, I might be wasting everybody's time. And I was like, thanks, but no thanks. I'll, I'll let this one go. Then a couple months go by. I auditioned for an entirely other role in the film, a supporting role, mm -hmm. put myself on tape, on my cell phone, sent that in. And David our, uh, David F. Sandberg, our director, and Peter Safran, our producer, and the folks at New Line and Warner Brothers all saw this and said, wait a minute, we think he could be our Shazam. Mm. Uh, I thought it, the role had already been cast by that point. And it hadn't. And so then I was very befuddled. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? I'm, I'm, I might be right for this. And then, and then uh, through the next week, I mean, basically that, that was a Friday. And then the very next Friday, by that point, I had done all the camera testing and everything I needed to do to now be cast in the role of Shazam. And through that, I learned a tremendous amount more about the character and the lineage and also what they were looking for. Had I known, uh, or perhaps maybe asked better questions two months prior, <laughs> I would have known that they were looking for more of a Tom Hanks big, yeah. uh, you know, an actor that can bring that to life in a more most believable way. And they, and, and obviously the aesthetic is important, but we could work on that. And so once I felt that and clearly felt 
felt it very strongly because they gave me the job. <laughs> those idiots. <laughs> I can't believe. <laughs> There's no uh, going back suckers. now. It's, it's done. It's done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, that was kind of the whole process of yeah. the auditioning and and finding myself in this role and continuing like daily just counting my blessings and and very very grateful and and uh and and honored i mean i i know that sounds kind of lofty of a word but i do think it's important to understand that you're you're given an honor when you are given a job like this. I mean, I think maybe any job is kind of an honor because somebody is seeing in you that you have a worth and a and an ability to do a thing and they're trusting in that and they're going to give you money to go yeah. and do that thing. So that's cool in and of itself. But the fact that these characters, you know, this my character has been around since 1939. That's a long, that's 80 years of people loving this character and some version of this character. Wow. and. Yeah. And keeping it alive and buying the comics. And, and you know, I, I don't think you should ever take that lightly. I think you need to appreciate the fact that there have been plenty other people that have been invested in this character and in this world far longer than you. And uh, to to bring that to life as best you can and honor all of them, mm-hmm. honor the role, uh, and honor yourself in that. You know, I think mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very... It's a very heady, surreal, but super cool responsibility <laughs> that I am grateful to to have. I'm doing a spoiler thing after this with, with David and Peter as well. Oh, but, lovely. Uh, the, uh, the character you auditioned for, we can't really say who it is, but it's, you know, yeah. at the end. At the, the, uh-huh. yeah. And the hoo-hoo. <laughs> well, with the what? And the ho Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, given that actor's connection with yeah. previous yeah. stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, there were so many. I know. I can't wait till the movie actually comes out so we can talk about it. So we can talk about the who's and the has and the mom. And I, uh, yeah, that'll that'll be that'll be nice. It'll, it'll be nice for all of us to be able to talk about it. It'll also be nice for all of them to be able to talk about it. But yeah, the amount of strange co- uh, coincidences and uh, um, uh, a history, uh, not just. For between me and others, but also just their journey within various. Uh, <laughs> how do we talk about it, 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 iterations? That's iterations, just, that's just sure. Iterations, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just that yeah, big yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it, it, very, very cool. Very cool. <laughs> and you said that this is clearly the biggest thing you've you've been involved with. Far, yeah, by far. You also do have low an association with the MCU. You are one of the few actors to kind of straddle both straddle worlds, both, like a yeah. Colossus. Uh, Jaimin Hansu is another one. Yeah, he's in two. Jaimin Hansu did both Captain Marvels. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. He's the connective tissue. Oh my god, the Fenn diagram is just Shazam, Captain Marvel, Jaimin. Yeah, which is really really cool. But well, your experience of the MCU did that give you? something to take into this and what was that experience like because I, I I guess ultimately playing Fandral you, you were nearly in Thor didn't quite work out then you were in Thor the Dark World yeah 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 so I mean look oh, the, the, the broad strokes of it all is I am so grateful that Kevin Feige and, and Kenneth Branagh because he directed the first one and, and cast me in the first one though I was not able to do it because of my schedule on Chuck mm. that you know when Kenneth Branagh says I like you, and I'm going to... And and doing a British accent, too. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm really good. If Kenneth Branagh... Uh, so all of that was super cool, and I was so grateful that I got to even have that turn. And, and that, you know, Josh Dallas, who I think did a great job in the first one, but then his schedule got wrapped up with Once Upon a Time, the TV show he was doing, so then it came back to me, which was, like, really crazy. And then I was living here in London for six months when we were shooting Thor the Dark World. Um, very cool. Uh 
I, but I would also say, and, and, by, and to answer the first part of the question, yes, I learned a lot from that, but I think we learn a lot from everything. We have mm. the potential to learn from every experience in our lives. So what I learned in that world was kind of like, that was the, the biggest movie uh, set and production and everything that I had ever been a part of and seeing all those moving pieces and, you know, massive action sequences and all that jazz. Like it was, re it was really, really cool. And also Chris Hemsworth was a great kind of, uh, example, you know, like I, I, I appreciated how he carried himself on set. I appreciated his humility. I appreciated the work that he put into the role. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, seeing him doing a lot of the things that I ended up ultimately having to do during, during Shazam, which mm -hmm. was, you know, working out on your lunch breaks and eating tons and tons and tons of calories, you know, all of that. And, and he continues to be, I think Chris is, is quite inspirational, particularly in the whole world of fitness and being healthy and strong. Mm -hmm. I just, I really, really love how he's leaned into that and has owned that. So I, yeah, I gathered from all that, but on a creative level, you know, Fandral the Dashing, though an awesome archetype, you know, swashbuckling, Douglas Fairbanks kind of Lothario, uh, awesome, awesome role to be able to take on. We didn't really have that much to do. You know, mm. the, the Warriors 3, I think, could have been a, a really, f a lot more fun had it been, had they leaned into it being like, oh, let's do, let's do a team movie even in the first one and the second one, you know, but we were kind of more co comic relief in, yeah. in the Kenneth Branagh yeah. film. And then in Thor, we got some cool stuff to do, but it, there wasn't that much to do. And then in Ragnarok, we were really just sacrificial lambs. Yeah. Hello, bye -bye. Hello, hi and bye. <laughs> so that was interesting. But I look in the moment, I felt a little bummed because I felt like, oh well, that was that was my chip. I played my yeah. superhero chip. Yeah. I, I got a spin at the wheel. I got on the board. <laughs> Grateful that I got on the board. Wish it could have been a cooler, you know, little stint. But you know, there's plenty of people that never make it into yeah. any of the universes. So I was still very, very grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, a little disappointed. And uh, But had I known that that was all part of me ultimately, you know, if I had not died in the Marvel Universe, there's a good chance I'd still be potentially under contract when I when the audition for Shazam came around. And maybe they would have said like, oh, you know, why, well, you can't go and be that guy because we still might need to use you as Fandral, like oh God, in an yeah. Avengers or, you know, just becoming dust when Thanos, you know, snaps his face, which would have been totally my fate. It would have been, oh, we're going to hold on to you, and then we're going to fly you to Atlanta, and then you're just, just so you can disappear. And it's like, great, I'm glad we did that. Um, so it all worked out. You know, it, I, I'm I'm so stoked that I got to be a part of the Marvel world. I'm well, well chuffed that I am oh my God, now reborn in into, yeah, right? Uh, I'm, uh, that, that I've now been reborn as my own hero, as my own yeah. leading titular character um it's uh it's super cool one last thing before i let you go or before i go one of us moves i'm mm -hmm. not, well, not entirely sure who um both of us let's both leave let's, let's both leave at the same time leave the microphones running and just <laughs> silence uh, there was a gif there's been a gif going around on twitter recently of uh a scene from i believe the captain marvel movie that came out in the 30s or 40s the very first superhero of uh very first superhero movie of captain marvel just Straight up murdering a dude, just grabbing him and throwing him off the of yeah, a building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was there any discussion about incorporating that into your <laughs> version of the character, like uh, just straight up murdering guys? No, no, that no, we didn't, we didn't uh, uh, discuss that because uh, it didn't need to be discussed because it's just in the character, just murderous rage. Yeah. So the black and white Captain Marvel, um, that, that that was like kind of um, uh, some serial 
it was the first time it had ever been tackled in this. In fact, it was the first superhero to ever be in theaters, mm. uh, but wasn't a feature length film. It was okay. a ser- serialized kind of, you know, they would play a lot of shorts before feature lengths and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, this was well before we had any of the cool special effects right, we have right now. So his flying was really just like probably him hitting some kind of a trampoline and then like jumping into the frame <laughs> and then picking up these gangsters, you know, because late 30s, early 40s. So it was, gangsters you know, those are the bad guys of the yeah. day. And like, yeah, yeah, see, we're going to get you, see? And, you know, <laughs> picking up these guys and throwing them off buildings. And wise stuff. ass, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you dirty rat. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that was a clearly a very kind of different take on on it because, and and actually, you know, the character, Billy Batson and Captain Marvel, at that point, when Billy Batson said the word Shazam, he transformed into a version of Captain Marvel that was very much an adult. Mm. Uh, this version, uh, this more modern version, where even though I transform into a, what looks like an adult, I still possess my 14-year-old self yeah. inside, much more like the movie Big. Yeah. That's something that they they kind of played with and then have kind of leaned into over the years. And I'm really grateful that they did. Because I feel like, look, they Captain Marvel originally was essentially just a Superman ripoff, and uh, <laughs> and Fawcett Comics got away with it for a while. Like, good on they outsold Superman; it was incredible. <laughs> then DC was like, no, 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 and they sued him, and they won, and then ultimately Fawcett went under, and DC yeah. bought all of that, you know, the the kind of uh, catalog from Fawcett. So then you had essentially Superman and his doppelganger of in many ways in the same universe. Well, if that's like redundant, that's your, you have two characters that are way too similar. How do, how do you make a fun, creative scene that's interesting and have it, cause you need different characters to do that. So I'm really glad that they leaned into the childlikeness of, mm. of the character because that gives me way more to work with. <laughs> and it's so much more fun and funny and all, everything that comes from that. Fantastic. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's now 10.40, time for another meal. Yeah, I think so. Zachary Levi, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much, pleasure. man. Present. What a nice fellow. So we may as well start the reviews section with Shazam. Um, so as I said, this is the superhero story of a foster kid who can turn into a Superman. Um, the latest from DC films and probably their funniest and lightest yet. So who wants to start me off on Shazam? Uh, Shazam, it's really fun, which is something you couldn't say about DC films a little while ago. I feel like this is continuing a good streak, really, Mm. from Aquaman, which was obviously a whole lot of movie (laughs) and all kinds of ridiculous, but it was enjoyable. And and Shazam, yeah, it's just a a really fun couple of hours. I think it veers in tone quite a lot. It feels like a film in three quite distinct parts. You've got, I'd say, a relatively slow build-up. You get a decent amount of time. Yeah, really good Mm. build-up. It's got quite a moody atmosphere in the opening opening act. And then you get the middle act when when Zachary Levi comes in and it just turns into a full-on superhero comedy, which really, really made me laugh. Did you guys find it funny? Yeah. Me too. Yes. Oh my a bit. <laughs> I found worst. it a bit funny. I liked the lightness of tone. In the same way that I enjoyed Aquaman because it wasn't moody and it had a nice lightness of tone, this has an even lighter tone. It's it's deliberately comedic. Uh, and I think it works. I think, as you say, but it, it's an interesting division because it starts in a quite serious, almost quite profound in the way it sort of layers the, should we say, antagonist's origin story. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. But it's the it's the kind of big S kind of 80s caper bit in the middle before the, let's be honest, quite generic third act uh, that I really enjoyed. Like, I enjoyed him interacting with his foster brother. The only thing I would say is 
Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batston, a.k.a. the junior version of this character, yeah. is kind of a slightly sullen, sort of moody child. And then when he becomes Shazam, he becomes Zachary Levi, who is the most effusive, full of beans, big child <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. So there's a slight disconnect between the two versions of the character. And I thought it was quite interesting that the two of them didn't really interact while making this film. So I wonder whether those two could have blended slightly better. That said, See, Zachary Levi's energy, I think, is what makes this film work. Like, mm. he is so much fun, and he's so effusive, and he's so excited just to be Shazam and have these powers that you can't help I think being swept up with that I mean I I really agree that there is a disconnect there I've been wondering about this if that was to an extent a bit of a choice that Billy Batson is this kid who's had a really hard life he's Mm. in the foster system and he is kind of like rejecting everyone around him and then when he gets to literally be somebody else with superpowers it brings a joy to his life (laughs) that he's never felt before but yeah that like maybe that there is an element of character to that as well Zachary Levi I mean that the central section of the film is Zachary Levi playing off against Jack Dylan Grazer, who mm-hmm. was also in uh, the most recent It film. He was what's the name of the kid with the um, with the inhaler with the sort of neurotic mum in It. I can't remember the name of the character. Oh, I, I don't remember was, anyone's character that, name in it. He was that character in It. Yeah. Um, and when those two are playing off each other, they are so much fun, and it really pokes fun at the tropes there's lots of bits of fun improvisation yeah. it does a lot with that setup of what if you were a teenager inside an adult's body and that adult was a superhero and all the stuff of testing the powers all the stuff you see in the trailer basically yeah. is that middle section so much yeah fun. yeah so much. It's, it's funny because this is a film that felt to me when i saw it quite risky because a it's called shazam he's got a great big glowing lightning bolt on his chest you know it's not it doesn't fit in in any way with the wider kind of sort of vibe of the dc eu and that's fine and that's right and it isn't Mm. and it's its own thing and i think this for me feels like this and, and aquaman to a certain extent actually feel like the sort of the cutting point where they've said like we're rejecting this world we try to create we're creating now standalone independent things with their own vibe their own mythology and all the better for it because they don't have the baggage to be honest they'd kind of already started that with Wonder Woman which had already moved away from yeah. all the stuff they'd, they'd established in Batman v Superman but I agree completely they've, they've stopped worrying about how do we make this kind of dark universe yeah. overall and how do we make each film work on its own yeah. merits now it's and just yeah standalone into the characters and the tone of each character individually mm. because uh, that's what made the early marvel films work it wasn't in trying to kind of homogenize them it exactly. was going okay so who is this character on the page let's just do that and not shy away from its comic bookiness and shazam does that uh, yeah. i think it, it's all the better for it for me i thought it had a really nice kind of goonies like tone in all those in all those scenes with them together in particular and also all the foster kids family all the foster family yeah. is is really beautifully drawn even in a few scenes i think they're really great um, young actors and just beautiful writing there. My only slight reservation in terms of this as a family film is it's quite scary at times. There is a boardroom scene with the bad guy that is genuinely quite freaky and certain aspects of the bad guy's personality are really unpleasant and Mm. so I feel like they've kind of maybe limited their audience a little bit you know to a lower yeah. age range that could have been lower because it know? skews young in tone but then in subject matter yeah. it's kind of inappropriate it's slightly hard to pin down what their ideal audience would i mean be. i think they're going for the kind of goonies feel because the goonies and, and some of those films gremlins and stuff yeah. when you go back yeah. to them yeah. are actually quite disturbing so at times so i think they're kind of if you can handle those you'll be fine with this but 
do bear in mind if you have young or nervous kids that you're planning to take along. Yeah. I can confirm. I sat next to Helen in the screening for this and you were like <laughs> squirming at points. It made it even more fun, to be honest. With oh, me. that's and great. Oh, yeah. I, I really liked, I think... Um, I agree that that's probably an issue for people wanting to take their kids to this, and maybe you should go and see it on your own first and judge whether you want to take them. I think for older audiences, and for me, I love horror films, so uh, I was really pleased to see that uh, David F. Sandberg, the director of this, who his other kind of big studio films, uh, Lights Out and Annabelle Creation, so (laughs) he brings those horror instincts in the moments when he needs to yeah. in a way that it yeah is quite genuinely scary so i think if you like his previous films and if you like horror stuff and yeah <laughs> you'll probably like those moments you'll just wonder whether you should take kids to go and see them yeah but it's not it's not a full-on horror to be clear but no, there are there not, are no. some disturbing moments no i like this film a lot i mean we gave it four stars mm. which if i'm honest i think is maybe a touch generous i probably have gone more for three mainly because i think when it's funny it's a bit funny it's not a lot funny i think it's never quite as charming as i think it wants to be either and i did feel that the third act in particular mark strong who is fantastic in all things including this i just think he didn't have an awful lot to work with and i felt like it didn't really deliver quite what i needed for the conclusion i really like that thing that happens in the third act that i'm not going to discuss yeah, see, I, I didn't love it as much as you loved I it. I think that's really good, and I really like that thing. And um, I think that's a good decision to t- for a film like this to take, and I think it's really interesting for the future what that gives us to work with. So well, you I'm may giving... like that thing that happens in the third act that Helen <laughs> liked, or you may not like it in the way that maybe I didn't like it, but we're not going to tell you, so you don't know. That's Go it. and see the film to find out. Indeed. So four stars then for Shazam, which is... A recommendation. Next up, this is a remake of a Stephen King adaptation, Pet Cemetery, which is the story of a mysterious burial ground which brings things back from the dead, only are they as they ever were? Perhaps not. James, tell me more. So this is Kevin Colshan, Dennis Widmeyer's remake of Pet Cemetery, the most, let's be honest, upsetting of Stephen King's books. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the original film of this traumatised me as a kind of as a young'un, so I was very excited to go and see this. A lot's been made, I think, of this that they've made a few, shall we say? I'm going to tiptoe around this a little bit. They've made a few key changes to the storyline. Mm. The basic fundamentals of this are the same, where a cat dies, and thanks to a little bit of uh, mystical hokum in a cemetery comes back to life as an undead cat and then later on a child dies and well you can kind of see where this is going now they've made some interesting changes and i understand why they made them i think partly to shake this up and partly to i guess change the nature of the threat here and it works to an extent like a lot of the beats are the same there's a big incident with a truck which we're familiar with there's an incident with a razor that we really shouldn't talk about basically the stuff that i've been having nightmares about since i saw the first film but the problem for me on this is it didn't hang together it's better shot than the original film it's better acted than the original film but it just the horror beats didn't sit quite right for me i watched this with chris he enjoyed it i think a lot more than i did uh he reviewed this he gave it three stars i think king diehards might take issue with the key plot twist but also the where this film ends because it ends on a slightly different note yeah the ending yeah. i think you might be right i don't think that about the plot twist not only because chris is a king diehard he is he is and ha- very true you know didn't so much you know object to it i i have read the book and and mm. really liked i actually like a lot of stephen king this isn't in my sort of top five stephen king books but it is 
really scary. It is. And it's like a meditation on grief and madness, isn't yeah. it? And the extent to which the mind fractures. And the acting is a big step up in this. I mean, yeah, you know, is. Jason Clark alone is is phenomenal, um, but he's got a good cast around of John Lithgow as, as well. Mm. Um, yeah, without getting into any kind of spoiler territory, it also does feel like it's been cut up and yeah, put back together a little the bit. Plot doesn't make a lot of sense. No, and there's one. a couple of flashbacky sort of, you know, memory scenes where we haven't seen the memory in the first place yes. and it feels like yeah. that was in there and was then cut there's I mean, definitely it, motivational issues I think missing here specifically in terms of John Lithgow's character where you're not quite sure for example why he takes him to the scary magical burial ground it's mm. never really explained but that's fine I mean it moves really fast as a film I think if anything it could do with like five or ten extra minutes yeah. just to add a few more kind of character moments for me I'm going to say it wasn't scary enough I oh. wanted to be more scared. Uh, I love being scared in films. And considering yeah. the idea at the heart of this film is so utterly creepy and freaky and deeply upsetting, I didn't feel deeply upset by the yeah. film. In the way that something like Hereditary, where just the, the central idea of it is so horrendously upsetting. Yeah. I, I didn't feel that in the film. But it's a f- kind of a fun popcorn horror film in a way that I feel like it shouldn't quite be a fun popcorn yeah, horror no, film because I'm, it's about such a horrible thing. I'm with you. Like, I wasn't scared enough or disturbed enough. Like, I thought this was going to be like weeks of trauma and therapy for me after this film. And I came out and I was like, meh. It had that almost like you've got a bunch of friends around, you're having fun, you know, watching a film together. Like it's almost one of those enjoyable horror films, mm. not one of those really affecting horror films. Uh, and maybe that's what they were going for. And if so, well done, you succeeded. Yeah. But I think the original film and certainly the book stays with you long after yeah. you finish it. And this doesn't yeah the book is terrifying but three stars then for pet cemetery which is still a recommendation so next up we have an unusual western uh, which is the sisters brothers this is a weird one it has all the beats of a normal western kind of it is joaquin phoenix and john c Riley are bounty hunters and they're sent on the trail of a missing person who's played by jake gyllenhaal and they have various trials and tribulations along the way and then some stuff happens that you just don't expect and it turns into a completely different kind of film by the end. I don't want to say too much because I feel like it's one of those films where the the less you know going in, the better. Um, it's directed by Jacques Odiar. Um, he wrote the screenplay as well with Thomas Biddigan and it's it's both kind of a really, really typical Western, you know, with the the horses and the inns and the dusty towns and the riding over wide open spaces and then something completely different, like they go to San Francisco at one point and they experience the big city. Hmm. Um, John T. Riley experiments with toothpaste, which is a whole new and exciting thing for him. There's a whole kind of scientific experiment angle towards the end of the film that becomes completely fascinating in a weird and disturbing way and involves Riz Ahmed. And it's, it's kind of great and kind of strange, do you get comedy John C. Riley or drama John C. Riley because they're like sort of bickering um, yeah. kind of characters, aren't they? They're kind of like playing off each other. Is he playing in his comedy vein or is he in that more serious? He's mostly so. serious John C. Riley, mm-hmm. and certainly at various times he's very sort of drama John C. Riley, mm-hmm. who let's not forget can make both Talladega and Boogie Nights. Um, but there are, there are definitely moments of comedy here. There are, there are really beautiful little comic kind of riffs here, mm-hmm. but that's not the overwhelming tone of the film. It's very much more serious than that, mostly, but and not all. How does Riz Ahmed fare? Does he get more to do than he did in Venom? 
<laughs> yes, he does. Uh, thankfully, this is kind of redemption for the Riz Ahmed scientist type. Um, but it's just, it's a very eccentric film. And it's sort of, they're kind of charming. So you don't mm. mind that you're not quite sure where they're going because you're quite enjoying hanging out with them, basically. So yeah, so we gave it four stars. It is weird and it's not quite like a normal Western, but equally it's just quite likeable and I can't quite put it any better than that. Is it a great Western? Oh, like the... No. James. Sorry. Yeah. I'm really just here for the puns because I haven't seen the film. (laughs) Um, So that is all the films that we here in the room have seen. Missing Link, which is the new film from Leica, is also out this week. I am dying to see this because I love them, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, But that is the story of, as the name suggests, the sort of missing link in the human evolutionary cycle, turning up and going on an exciting journey across country. Also out this week is last year's Cannes Festival entry, Happy as Lazaro. That's another sort of slightly unusual drama, this time from Italy, from Alice Rohrwasher, and that has gotten four stars as well, which is, again, a recommendation, so do check it out. And, of course, A Clockwork Orange is also getting a re-release this week, and if you haven't seen that, and if you are a Kubrick fan, it is obviously a masterpiece, and you should check it out. So that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll hopefully be rejoined by Chris and certainly joined by Jessie Buckley, who's here to talk about her fantastic new film, Wild Rose. Until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James. Bye. Goodbye from Ben. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to continue my lifelong quest to figure out what the fuck a jellical cat is. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Bye-bye. 